He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, as always, Mr. Sean Cunningham. News, oh, boy, did I just mess it up? ABC. You 10. did. You did. ABC, ABC 10. 10. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> you were doing so well. <laughs> oh, it's it's so hard to remember, Sean. I'm so tired. So uh, tired. Yeah, yeah. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm actually doing uh, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. And it sounds like I'm not because it sounds like I'm riddled with COVID or some cold or something. I get bassy this time of year and sometimes I lose my voice and uh, I'm holding on to the voice pretty good. So, yeah, I feel great. Sean's going to find a karaoke bar tonight and sing something sultry. That might happen uh, definitely Friday because of uh, the New Year's festivities and you know, it'll be coming after a game. So win or lose, I'll be ready to tie one on. Uh, yeah. Are you a New Year's, a New Year's uh, celebrator? Or do you go out and go all out and go crazy? I have. Um, I would say usually no. I, I usually I, I stay home or have a little, you know, small get together um, in normal times because I used to, you know, I go by the whole moniker that New Year's Eve is for the amateurs find me on a Wednesday night, like, you know, just a random Wednesday <laughs> night around town. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can be, I can be peer pressured because peer pressured is an mf and it definitely can bring me into a, uh, into this, into this, the spirit of kicking rocks to another COVID riddled year. That's for sure. Yeah. We usually have a pretty tame new year's, but, uh, we, we typically go to a friend's house and like, we try to be in somewhere, planted by you know like 10 o'clock and we don't leave and um and we've been known to to drink a little bit yeah that that happens um but it also happens on wednesday nights <laughs> and thursday nights uh like what you were mentioning so yeah uh, sean like we're not huge like i don't think i've been to a new year's eve party in a long time yeah um, which is probably a good thing especially they nowadays there's so much fun but i i can't I, I will say this even when i was younger i had some uh you know, everyone's got those like relatives in their family. And I think, and it, it seems like I always reference a movie. So I think it, the relative in the family that I'm trying to reference is the uncle Eddie character in national Lampoon's Christmas vacation, yep. okay. where they're just a little bit, Hmm. A little odd, a little, <laughs> little, little, little different. And, uh, I had that type of, um, beautiful soul in my family that just, when it came to new year's, they were always down. And it'd probably be the one one of the few times you'd ever see them uh, in the year. And for whatever reason, they're celebrating. The, anytime it was came to New Year's, they had to celebrate by banging the hell out of pots and pans that you have in your cupboard. I've never understood it, and uh, noticed that that in my in my you know cul-de-sac in Elk Grove where I used to live, they they would all do the same thing. So banging pots and pans is evidently a thing and i just never understood it even as a young child where you know everyone's celebrating and they start banging the hell out of a of a teflon 
you know, frying pan and, and I'm looking at them with absolute bewilderment, like going, what the hell are you doing? But apparently it's a thing. So do you uh, bring I, pots and pans? I don't. I, I think that's better than firing a gun. Like <laughs> I've, I've been when people do that and you're like, okay, that's, that's yeah. like, where's that bullet going to come down? I don't know. Like, yeah, uh, that seems a little strange. Um, yeah. And then I was at a new year's day party where like they fully brought out guns and I'm like, this is crazy. We had like a, a chili cook off and I brought chili and then out came the ARs and I'm like, what in the oh, world? Wow. Yeah. It, it was some crazy stuff. That's uh, the only time I've shot an AR and um, yeah, those things are, are pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I, from like 150 yards, it took me about three shots to like, find my bearings and then i was able to hit a golf ball three times in a row oh goodness um, from 150 yards yeah it's like shooting a bb gun there's no kick there's no nothing it's bizarre um yeah so i think i'll, I think I'll handle the pots and pans over the so AR. go back to your That's pots and sure. pans. yeah i pans. think we'll do that yeah carry on um, talking <laughs> about loud noises uh the sacramento kings is sean it feels like it feels like every time we do the pod because mm -hmm. we do it on tuesdays and thursdays we're either in like the darkest of darkest times. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah, we're like, oh, please, <laughs> please step back from the ledge. Or we're streaking. <laughs> Absolutely. Bring some pots and pans after Chemezi Metu's heroics. Yeah. Um, you know what? Chemezi is such a nice young man. He he's uh like we've covered like a lot of different guys. He's very uh, I don't even know how to like he's astute he's articulate he it's almost like um you're you're talking to like like uh I don't know someone who's like getting their PhD like he, he really really likes to explain things in an interesting way um and for him to have a moment like that first of all Sean what in the hell was Shemesi Metu doing on the court? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I mean, we were looking at it. I was like doing math and I was, I was like, oh, there comes Buddy. That's what we expect. Oh, there's Fox. There's Halliburton. Okay. We expect that. And there's, there's Harrison. Yep. And I'm like, is that Metu? Wow. Who, who had hit two three pointers already? He had. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. 26% shooter from three. Uh, after last night i don't know what he was before it's probably 24 20 23 points something um he wasn't gonna stretch the floor because i mean his defender completely left him <laughs> you know what i thought sean i thought they were gonna go to the lob i thought that that's what they were gonna try to do you remember the the met two lob where fox yeah. missed him underneath and then you know for the game winner i thought that that's what they were gonna do they were gonna start met way up by the the uh mid-court line and then just have him sprint and back pick back pick and throw a lob to him for a big dunk and, and get him free and then that's not what happened and uh like I, I was as stunned as anyone so so people know um we sit directly behind the visitor's bench but at the at the top like the top of the lower bowl we're at the the mezzanine level and we're looking so that shot we can was, just call it the mezzi level yeah the mezzi level we're at the <laughs> mezzi level um looking right down we could see his number like it's right in front of us um and just a very very well thought up play 
And I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you caught this, but both Alvin Gentry and De'Aaron Fox said that they originally drew the play up for Halliburton. And when they ran the play originally for Halliburton, uh, they got the foul, right? So I, I think Gentry, like that was some next level chess. They, they ran the play for Halliburton because they knew that they, uh, that, um, that they had one to give, right? So they knew that a foul was coming quickly and they, they also knew that Halliburton's a much better free throw shooter. Then they ran the same exact play, but they swapped out Halliburton for Fox in the set. And so we had this, this really, really well-run play that as soon as, as soon as Fox got it and hit the gas, he was by him. That to me, that was like, Oh yeah. He blew right by him. Yeah. He blew right by him. So I almost expected like a reach foul or something. Um, But of course that didn't happen. And then uh, Powell slides over and leaves Chemezi and Sean, the pass was so perfect. Oh, it was on a, it was, he threw him a seed and, and, you know, the angle that I had of shooting it, I, I kept thinking, man, boy, that is a really tight window because, and, and, and again, my angle looked a little bit different than what was shown on TV because there's no cameras on we on the side that we sit. Yeah. So that's, what's so kind of unique about that. And we've been able to shoot, you know, a Harrison Barnes game winner there. We've had several, game winners where you know inevitably it's on the side of the of the of the floor and and it just ends up being such a great angle um and yeah well just an incredible pass and and one of the things that kind of came to mind too that happened before that play and you mentioned the play that went to Tyrese I remember seeing De'Aaron gather Tyrese um get Harrison and and even but and he's and buddy and he's saying hey they have the foul to give. They have the foul to give. Make sure you're shooting. Make sure you're shooting. And, you know, that was an instance in where Tyrese was trying to make it look like he was shooting, but the foul happened the split second, like he was just a little bit too slow with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also coincided with, I believe it was that play. Maybe it was the play before uh, where Dorian Finney-Smith fouls out. A, a terrific defender. They're easily their best defender. And he had been riddled with, I say, I keep saying riddled. That's like the third time I say riddled. But he had been plagued with foul trouble all, all day. Um, he fouled out on that play. And I thought it was so unfortunate for Dallas because now you've got your best defender off the floor. And I wonder what it would have looked like differently had Finney Smith still been on the, on the floor. Because as you may point out, yeah, it was supposed to go to Tyrese. Then they make an adjustment. Tyrese at that point is now on the other side of the court. which. I didn't totally agree with and because each time you had Harrison inbounding that ball. And as you look at the anatomy of the play, I haven't really seen an, uh, uh, an angle yet where you really see Tyrese in the play of the play itself. So as you point out, James, were we both, were we both kind of surprised to see Chimezi Metu on the floor? Absolutely. But now you almost look at it like you've got three players. Because Tyrese is on the other side of the floor. He drew a defender away. Metu is almost just going to be left completely alone because you have now Fox who's penetrating. And then I thought it was weird that Fox looked at it. He's like, well, I had two options. I was either going to pass it to Metu, which he did, thankfully, or I was going to try and hammer it over a seven-footer and maybe draw a foul, maybe complete the play. How often do you just not see? Look, referees just swallow their whistles. 
in, in, totally. in scenarios like this. And, and, you know, of all the times where we're always talking about, Hey guys, take it to the paint. You got to get it to the paint, try to get to the free throw line. When you've got three seconds on the clock, that's usually not the time to do it. You know, usually it's to, to go, you have to try to make a play and who's the guy we're always talking about. De'Aaron Fox, who usually gets into the paint. It's like De'Aaron, you need to try to score. You need to not try to draw the contact because if you try to score and the refs look at you as a player who's making a natural movement and trying to score, that's what's going to draw the foul. You know, that's why these players like historically Kevin Martin, James Harden are so good about getting the free throw line because yes, they are deceptive, but they're always trying to score the basketball usually. And in a play like that, I thought it was, I was almost like, wow, that's not the play I would have gone to. I actually love the fact that he got past there. I thought it was going to be a kick out to Barnes because what do they always say? The inbounder is always the most dangerous player on the floor at that moment. And Harrison was the guy to inbound both play. He he certainly has, we've seen him hit that shot against Cleveland uh, with a full court pass from Fox. So yeah, just an absolute dime of a pass. And I thought it was going to go to Barnes. Metu's wide open, drills the shot, and then chaos ensues. Chaos. Total chaos. And now look, you made a really interesting point there that Fox, there's a good chance that if Fox did go right to the rim, that he would, even if he got fouled, he's not going to get the foul. I mean, and even like when, um, when Marvin Bagley missed a tip in a little while ago, uh, a couple of games ago that would have uh, led to a Kings win, right? He, to me, he clearly got fouled. Oh, was, I completely. I know exactly what yeah, you're talking there about. There was yeah. no question. And you know what? From the 14 second mark on of the two minute report, there was nothing. They didn't mention it at all. They didn't even say there was marginal content uh, contact. They just ignored it. So I'm going to add another layer to what you're talking about when it comes to the officials and whether or not they would have called a foul right there. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted out this morning. 25 of the 70, is that what it is? 25 of the 70 active NBA refs are in quarantine. They're, they're in NBA health and safety protocols. Mm. So you're looking at a huge percentage of regular referees, and they're filling those in with G League, uh, with G League officials, which I think we saw the night before. Like that, there was some horrific calls. Even in that game last night, Sean, the Porzingis flopping in the first quarter where they, they were in the penalty with like 7.30 left in the first quarter and the Kings were already, they'd already committed five team fouls. That to me, it was just crazy. And watching Porzingis flop one, one time after another, after another, I was like, holy cow, what is he like sitting there? He's the understudy to Luka Doncic. Yeah, that's what he is like. Well, he's he, he, he had his own shocking. masterclass last night. I mean, yeah. that's in, in just deceptive movements. He, he literally put on a masterclass for people. And the crazy part was because, look, I wasn't I'm you know me, James. I'm not usually a person that harps on the officials. I really am not. Yeah, I'm not. Last either. night, the officiating was pretty terrible. But I will say I didn't feel it was bad when it came to Porzingis. It seemed like every single time uh, you'd see a replay and Porzingis, for the most part, was really really good in getting the kings to react to his motion he's a he's an enormous human being right um there are moments where i mean we were laughing about like oh look at this it and kp two-man game that they got going on you know a guy who's five eight and a guy who's seven four whatever the hell he is i mean just an just an incredible visual 
And he was so good at getting every Kings player to react to his deceptive movement. And more times than not, I can think of maybe just one or two where it looked like, okay, where's the foul there? That's completely phantom. Um, but more times than not, yeah, they, <laughs> he got the Kings to, to commit and, and it was like a masterclass. He was brilliant. I, I thought it was interesting that, uh, he, he kept doing it early and then he flailed on one on the baseline where I think either Chemezi or Damian Jones smacked the ball out of his hands and then he stopped. It was like, okay, they must've told him, <laughs> Hey dude, we've had enough. Right. Like someone must've said something to him because after that, we did not see the, <gasps> Like he, I, like he was flailing. I, like it was, it was pretty stunning to watch him just acting like an idiot half the time. And uh, you know, so maybe I've I've gotten too used to a team that that doesn't do that, that doesn't draw the foul like they should. You know, even mm -hmm. throw the head back. You know, whatever it is, um, you're not getting enough of it. And then I could also see that Tyrese Halliburton just started flopping all over the place. Like, well, if he's going to do it, I'm going to do it too. Yeah. And then the, he didn't get any calls and he kept a little, like, why am I not getting the calls? It's like, well, cause you're not Porzingis. So, and you know, it was crazy. At one point they, they ran Porzingis and Moses Brown on the court together. Like you had yeah. a seven, three and a seven, two on the court together. It was absolutely crazy. Like super, super big team at one point with Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> yeah. That's one way to make up for your lack of size. I guess. Like, and Isaiah Thomas, like, he looked okay. Like, he he had a couple of shots. Well, maybe maybe just one. I, I thought the Kings played him. Every time he went in the game, you saw that Davion Mitchell was going to go in the game. And he had a he had a he had a really beautiful little layup against Fox. I thought um, on our on our end of the floor, and for a guy who literally walked off a plane at three thirty to play in a game four hours later, you know that was and not know anything, not know any of these teammates. I, I was a little surprised that they went to him as much. I, I there was a moment where I was like, well, maybe they're not going to go to him. And they did. I mean, he ended up playing like 13 minutes. Um, I thought he was, I thought he looked pretty effective. I think you'll probably see a little bit, depending on if anybody comes out of these health and safety protocols for Friday's game. I think you might see a little bit more of him. Well, that'd be, it, I would love to see him be back in the league full time. I, I don't get why yeah. he's been out of the league to me. It's, it's a travesty that that guy's not in the league. Um, okay. So, let, let's get to uh, some of the other stuff here. And uh, one of those things that I think really stood out to me was the fact that De'Aaron Fox made the pass. Um, and I mean, it was such a bang, bang play. It was a 3.8 seconds. They, they got the inbounds. Fox bolts around. Um, you know, he's flying up the left side. He fires his bullet. Metu releases the ball and it was probably the quickest catch and shoot I've seen from a Kings player in like 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know why they don't catch and shoot like that all the time, but they, they certainly don't. They don't. Um, he catches, he releases the balls out of his hand for probably, I don't know, probably three feet, four feet out of his hand. So it was clear the whole time, but in order for that to happen, it took no hesitation from anybody. It, it had to be perfect in order for that play to work. And for me, I, I thought that, first of all, Metu had said, Metu told us in, in post game that, hey, De'Aaron Fox had come to me earlier in the season in a very similar situation and said, look, this is what happens in that on that play. I will, if you're open, I will hit you. So be ready. And so I, I thought that that was, a really cool thing that Fox had set it up beforehand. 
and that Metu had struggled. I mean, he, he hasn't been able to hit hardly at all from three uh, in the last like two weeks. And all of a sudden you have De'Aaron Fox making the decision to fire to a guy who, who, again, he's a, he's probably more like a 32% three point shooter um, if given consistent minutes, but because inconsistent minutes and inconsistent play, he's more around where he is right now, 24, 25, 26%. Um, But I thought that like, we keep asking this question, Sean, about leadership and these are ways in which I think that this is how De'Aaron Fox leads. He has these discussions beforehand. He has the discussion that you're talking about where he's reminding guys, let's make sure that we, that you're in the, the act of shooting. Right. Um, we have the moment where uh, Tyrese Halliburton says, Hey, you know, right before the last game, um, De'Aaron Fox, like tapped me on the shoulder and pregame and said, Hey, keep doing what you're doing. So we have all these people out here that are so concerned about the way that De'Aaron Fox leads. He's not a leader. He's, you know, trade him. We're seeing that craziness all over the place, but I just think you have to change your understanding of what leadership means. And like, I think everybody works who, who works a, a standard job, you know, that you have your leader or the person who's a manager, but then you all also know who the, the best worker is or who the person is that you go to or the, who the person is you can rely on. And it's not always the quote unquote leader, your store director, your store manager, or the, the floor manager that's working that night. Sometimes it's somebody who just is way better at having conversations and dealing with stuff. And I just, you know, we look at this team and uh, I think the biggest vocal leader that they have is Tristan Thompson, who just doesn't play, especially right now. He's not playing at all. Uh, you have your, your diplomat, which is, of course, Harrison Barnes, Senator, Senator um, Barnes, Senator Barnes, please. Senator Barnes. You have yeah. the guy who is so gifted at talking and that's Tyrese Halliburton, but he's still a young player and he's still immature in some of what he says. Although some of what he says is absolutely brilliant. You got your guy like Davion Mitchell, who is a leader by example on the defensive end. You got Rashawn Holmes, who's like the heart and soul of your team. So we keep talking about these. No one is, is Draymond Green. The, the Kings don't have that guy. And neither does like 25 other teams in the league. They don't have a pure guy like that who just owns the room and takes control and is that guy. And I'll even say this. Steph Curry is still the leader of the Golden State Warriors. Right. Draymond is the noisy guy. So, yeah, yeah. But, I, he's but still a is, leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, it's like the good cop, bad cop. Yeah, yeah. So, so my point is, I think we're missing. We're missing some of what De'Aaron Fox brings. And I wrote on it today for the Kings beat, but I really do believe that in the end, we're going to, we need to appreciate who De'Aaron Fox is for, for who he is and not worry about who he's not. Because yeah, I, that's a problem. Go, it goes to what you're saying, James, and, and what we've talked about before. It's like, it's great to see the vocal people step up and, and try to be that guy when they're not the best player. Like it, there's a difference of having your best player be that, that quote unquote tangible leader, the ones that fans and it really kind of comes across on television and in person where you're like, Oh man, look at this leadership. He's, he's literally talking to everybody. He's going to every single player, having conversations. He's the one that's going to the officials and talking to everybody, which last night Darren did a lot of like Darren realized that this is not a typical 
officiating crew that we're used to. And he was lighting up the officials early. And so was Alvin Gentry for that matter. But the person on the court, like I was surprised that, that, that Fox didn't get a technical, but the one thing you're right is, is it just has to, sometimes it needs to come from your best player because people want to see that alpha male behavior from the best player. And I think Fox knows not only who he is because he's very comfortable in his own skin. Um, some people would call it a little too cool. Um, but at the same time, I think he, he tries to pick and choose his spots because if you have someone like Draymond Green or it, just to use that example, that can really, that doesn't work for everybody. Like that can really grind down over the course of a season, just all the, all the time, all the time, all the time. When you have someone who's empowered like that by the head coach and the real leader, which is Steph Curry, the best player on the team and, you know, likely in the NBA, it, it carries a little bit more weight to it. Fox has a personality that's very much more to use the Golden State Warriors as that kind of role model here, more like Clay Thompson. Not to say he's not a great leader, but a more kind of a laid back, passive approach. He wants to see all his guys do well. Yeah. He wants everyone to enjoy themselves. Um, but when it comes to a moment, like he'll pick and choose his spots when to step up. Clay steps up a lot. Like he's a very vocal presence, but a lot of it is done behind the scenes. And I think that's what we're, we're hearing more of is De'Aaron Fox choosing those moments behind the scenes. He's also still a relatively young guy in the league. And sometimes you will see leaders kind of think that leadership has to come from the, the, the experience, the wise old vet, which mm -hmm. this team, you know, especially when you've had a locker room where De'Aaron Fox was a part of and had guys like Zach Randolph and Vince Carter at one point, and even Matt Barnes and Garrett Temple or guys a little bit more longer in the tooth that have seen some things. Even George um, Hill. Yeah. George Hill was 100%. his first guy. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So, um, I don't, not everyone's made for it. And I, and I, I would, I would say that Fox would probably bristle at the notion that he is a leader because I don't think he thinks he is a leader. I think he certainly thinks he has some leadership qualities. And I think he knows that his voice is definitely heard amongst the team, but in the whole raw, raw, going to win one for the Gipper and just spout off and go crazy on a guy. That's obviously not him. And he knows that if he were to do that, it would be completely not only laughed out of the room, but it would be just insincere and be disingenuous. disingenuous. Yeah. And he yeah. doesn't want to come off that way. Um, so again, going back to the whole thing of what does the leader look like? I think too many people look at positions of basketball and they go, well, your point guard has to be the extension of your head coach. That whole cliche point guard has to be that guy. And to a degree, you're right. And I think he is capable of doing that. But it's also, it's just different. Like he is a different type of personality. So um, I think he can show moments of leadership. I think those are continuing to evolve through his journey in the NBA. But I don't think it'll ever be, I don't think it'll ever be not only what people want him to be, but I think even coaches, I think you see, co I, I don't think it's just fans. I think you'll see coaches and executives want more from that star player. And to me, I think, look, even though you're paying D.R. and Fox and you've referred to him as your head of the snake, you're doing so because he's your best player. You're not referring to him in that regard as the leadership quality, the extension of the head coach. And fortunately, you have put some pretty smart basketball IQ, not to say that Fox isn't, but competitors around him who would be happily to be able to take over that role. Guys like Tyrese Halliburton and even Davion Mitchell to a degree, because we've seen his communication improve over just the 
handful of weeks that he's been in the NBA, um, you have seen that absolutely come to kind of bubble up uh, the qualities that he has. And people know what kind of leader he is. And he's also the guy that has been, even Tyrese has been not only the best player on his team, but have also worn the the, the hat of being that leader in, in the locker room. Yeah. I'll say this, like almost every player in the NBA was a best player on every team that they've ever played on. That's just kind of the way it goes. That's how you get to the league is by being the best of the best of the best. And so you're, you're going to run into times when, you know, you need somebody, you need more from somebody. Um, but Sean, here's my problem. And like, I get, you know, we, we talk about the head of the snake. I, I don't think I've ever heard De'Aaron Fox refer to himself as the head of the snake outside of him saying, you know, they want me to be the head of the snake. He's, he doesn't walk around with like, like a, a De'Aaron Fox Jersey, but it's a snake and his head is on the top with like pointy, like his, with his old, uh, his old hairstyle. Like, I don't think the problem that you have in Sacramento and it it's gone on forever uh, is the 25 and five Tyreek Evans the here we rise poster that was 150 feet tall or whatever it was with DeMarcus cousins and Tyreek Evans. Um, you know, we, there's more, they, um, they're a super team. They're just young. The Sacramento Kings, because I think it's partially because they cannot sign a superstar free agent. It just, it's never going to happen. People, maybe it happens one time. And the only way that it happens if it's some rando from Sacramento who becomes a superstar, goes on to play other places and goes, I want to go back to where it all started and try to deliver my team. That's how it would happen. So somebody out there, like make your kid into that guy. So, so that guy can come back to Sacramento <laughs> outside of that. It's so incredibly difficult to get a pure superstar without drafting him so this team, this franchise, because they're always mired in this ridiculously long playoff drought, as soon as someone shows any promise or as soon as someone has like a big smile, they put him all over the building and make him the face of the franchise. And they do it every single time with players who are not ready to be that guy. They're not ready to, to take on. I think if you were to make Tyrese Halliburton the face of the franchise, you probably could get away with it because Tyrese is just like, woo, I'm a happy-go-lucky dude. I can sit here and talk about just about everything. And that's awesome. But I, I still don't think he's he's as good as uh, as De'Aaron Fox. I, he's just not. He's not as good a player as De'Aaron Fox right now. And so we have this problem that your face of the franchise doesn't really want to be the face of the franchise or – isn't capable of being what some people want him to be as the face of the franchise, but he's forced into it. And then he's given a big contract and everyone's, Oh, well now he's getting paid. It's like, man, the Kings made him the face of the franchise years before he got paid. So stopped acting like he changed because he got paid. He, he was the same kid. He's just growing up. You made the face of the franchise out of a 19 year old kid who couldn't go into a bar and buy a drink. So heaven forbid he grows up, he matures, he changes, he becomes an adult and his temperament changes. Well, I know I'm a lot different today 
than I was when I was 30 or when I was 18. And I know from 18 to 25, I was totally different. That, that's just the way it goes. And mm-hmm. so we have to stop expecting these young kids because that's all the Kings can get these young kids to deliver you and be your savior and be the face of the franchise and be the head of the snake because you're putting this incredible amount of pressure on a, on a young man for a franchise that it doesn't matter who is on the court still doesn't make the playoffs. And and then it's like, all right, Hey, we need you to erase 15 years of, of absolute trash. Uh, You know, good luck with that. And so it's hard, man. I like, I, I get it. I like, I don't know. Like, I think it breaks players. I think they're, there are moments this season where I think it's broken De'Aaron Fox and I, I don't blame him. I, I honestly, I blame the franchise and the way that they handle players and they keep doing it and they've done it for, you know, over a decade. So, okay. Two things come out of that. And I want to, since you said you blame the franchise for, for doing that, I'm curious how you feel about, I mean, obviously look there, this gets into what I, um, I think this trickles over into something that I've harped upon a few times on this podcast, which is there's an arrogance that come to small successes. Okay. And, and all, and it's not just the organization and it's not just fans and it, it, it there's media types as well. And um, I can use this as an, as an example, because I've, I've, I've hit upon it quite a few times. There was a, uh, a media member who thought that, that the Kings should be better this year than the likes of the Portland trailblazers. And that I had a problem with that. I had a problem with that because for one, for the better part of 15 years, which this media member has not been here, but for 15 years, they haven't made the playoffs, which means you're not even in the top half of the league, which is another way to look at it. And coming off of last season, all of a sudden this person felt, okay, Portland's got a new head coach. Oh, well, the Kings should be better than them. You could say could, and th- and so you could say, hey, I think they will be. But for de- a definitive, and again, I know I'm harping over just one little word here, but the arrogance to think that the Kings should be better than Portland, who still have borderline two all-stars, but one for sure, and who's probably like the top, one of the top 10 players in the league. How, like, what on what planet should the Kings be better than Portland? <laughs> When they've never shown that. And the reason I, the reason I do, I bring this up as I need to use my cough button. The reason I bring this up because this member is also within the, 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 the confines of the organization and, and it's nothing against him. I think they're great people. In fact, I'll just say it. His name is Kyle Draper and I like Kyle a lot. I I really do. I'm not trying to like pick, but, but it's part of this. There is, there can be an arrogance that comes with just, well, I saw great things last year and this team could be a play. Then just say that you don't have to look. We all know what a first year we saw it in Sacramento. We've seen it plenty of times when a coach takes over a new team, that first year can be a little janky and it's not always, you know, roses and it takes, it takes an adjustment. So I understood what he was trying to say. And I even, I confronted him. I said, man, should, what the hell should, they should not be better than, no, there's no should. Um, so I think it does kind of go into that because again, you can be excited about a player, but just don't put unrealistic expectations because in doing so, especially when you have a voice like Mr. Draper does in doing so the average fan hears that. And when you fast forward to where they are now, 
you know, six games under 500 and you're just going, what the hell? Now, granted, Portland's not a whole lot. They're in the same, they're mired in the same kind of muck right now. So again, he might be right. And again, I, when I, that's fine. But what I'm saying is when you're saying that this guy should be better than all these things, it's like people, they get these unrealistic expectations to your point, James, about putting a guy on a building, put like, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like the marketing department at the end of the day still has to sell tickets. They need their fan base to be excited. So I'm okay with that. But here's where I draw the line. Don't call this kid a legend. Don't call this kid the best player in the NBA. Maybe don't double down on what every piece of national media that comes out to just show that I'll never forget this. Let me stretch my legs a minute here because this one really bothers me. Uh, Let's get ready. Sean's going to unleash the hounds. Let's hear it. I can't remember necessarily which player it was. Okay. But you get your essentially your rookie voting rookie of the year voting and they you know i get it if you get a rookie of the year it shows a lot of promise this could be a budding star and as you said james that's how most stars come to fruition for an nba team particularly from a small market team we all get that but i would never forget when the king's organization celebrated celebrated the fact that one of their rookies got a first team or a second. No, I'm sorry. Got a third team vote. It was like an all rookie third team. And he got one vote. And there was an article about it on their website, on their social, that this Sean, guy got one vote. They want to, they had t-shirts made for <laughs> the summer league championship. They had t-shirts made Sean somewhere. There's somebody embroidering a second banner. Because they won the summer league. Like, I get it. Like, you're so starved for any success that that you, like, focus on, like, this little minutia. Right. I get it. But, again, all you're doing is you're – these aren't, like, 25-year-old guys. They, they aren't seasoned guys. You're, you're taking these young college athletes who just walked around as, like, the swinging dude at, on, on campus – and all of a sudden they're in the NBA and you hand them a boatload of cash to start and they're millionaires and they're having a good time. They're, they're figuring out, you know, travel life and, and all this stuff. Like it's so much to take in for a young player. And then you think it's cool. Oh, I can't believe they put me out there on the face. Like, and then the expectations start. There's always, there's always strings attached. And, you know, De'Aaron Fox was, such a disappointment as a rookie. He will tell you that like yeah, his rookie ate, season. Yeah. Like he was so disappointing. He'll tell you I was horrible. And Tyrese Halliburton was so much better. Uh, he'll tell the Fox will tell you Tyrese Halliburton was so much better than I was as a rookie. But then you get to the second year and, and the third year and we start to see the climb. We start to see the epic rise. Well, then it's like, okay, Fox has to deliver us to the playoffs. And, you know, they, they, these guys, they keep saying it. Oh, I'm going to be the guy that breaks the streak. I'm going to be the guy that breaks the streak. And they put all this pressure on themselves. And then the second that things go wrong, they fall apart. And, and I don't blame them. I mean, he just turned 24, like the same day you did on December. What was it? 20th, December 20th. Yeah. He just turned, yeah, he just (laughs) turned 24 and now, like, I think the weight of the world sometimes weighs these guys down so heavily, it, it just rolls them down a hill and they can't stop it. And 
it, it's tough, man. Like, so, so again, that's, that's part of my, my beef. It's that like, we all want De'Aaron Fox to be something. And I, I don't think that some of the things you want him to be, he can be, he cannot be a 40% three point shooter. I look at some of the leadership things that some people want from him in the same exact light. That's not who he is. It doesn't matter how much he works on it, how many books he reads, how many, you know, uh, podcasts he listen to about leadership. It's not going to be like original or like authentic with him because that's just not who he is. But what he can be is a guy that quietly whispers in someone's ear, man, I, I need you to do this and yeah. I'm going to empower you. And there's going to become a time where, I need you to stand in that corner ready to fire and I'm going to put it on you and I'm going to send it over there. So my point, Sean, to that whole thing, like when we really get down to it, if Chemezi Metu missed that shot, only one person would have got blamed. One person. And it would not have been Alvin Gentry for having Chemezi Metu say, on really? the floor. You don't think, think it would be Gentry? No. Everyone would have said that De'Aaron Fox didn't have the guts to take the shot himself. That's what they would have said. Hmm. That's what they would have said because he's the guy. So he makes a great pass. Chemezi Metu is the hero. There is no winning for De'Aaron Fox. Unless he somehow found a way to hammer a ball through a seven-footer diving at the rim and get an and one, step to the line, and not miss a free throw like he did like half the game and hits the shot and he wins the game, there's really there's no win. There's no win for him. Because the expectations are so incredibly high that, you know, they put him in a situation that I, I don't think that, you know, I don't think almost anyone could win. It takes a special breed to figure out all of it. And, you know, I think Fox is a really, really good player. Um, I think that there's still potential for him to be a great player. But at the same time, I, I think all of this other stuff, if they were to make the playoffs, it would probably catapult that guy into the stratosphere. Do you, do you think Fox wants to be great? Uh, I do. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. You don't think no. so? No, I think he'd, he'd, he'd welcome it, but I don't think when you talk about wants to be great, I don't, I, I don't think I don't see that. I don't, here's the other thing, James. I don't see, um, I think he's naturally talented. And I think, I mean, not to say he doesn't work hard, not to say he doesn't, you know, work on his game. There's a, it's kind of goes to the attitude it just his overall approach. Like, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, I don't think, um, I mean, they're, they're obviously paying him like a great player and he is, he's, a, he's the best player on the team, but I don't think he cares that he's the best player on the team. Meaning that if they traded for Ben Simmons, he would all of a sudden not be the best player on the team. It, uh, see in, in a world I where I still think he it, would think that he's the best player on the team. In a world where, in a world, <laughs> <laughs> in a world where somehow the Kings keep De'Aaron Fox and add Ben Simmons, which I think is a pipe dream. Uh, but in the, in the event that was to happen, like, I just don't think he would, he would give a damn. He would go out and compete. He would do all, he's a competitive guy. We know that. But I, I just don't think he cares that way. Like, I don't think he puts any type of label or pressure on anything he does. He's such a, all right, I'm playing basketball. Okay, I'm not. You know, that's just now I'm going to go work hard. I'm going to go practice. I now I'm not. You know, it's. I still think he knows he's the best player on this team, and yeah, I think he. I think he's aware of it. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I don't think that there's, he, he shows up and he's the best player on the team and he does the work off the court, I believe to show up and then be the best player, but he is the best player on this team. And, and everyone there knows it. Like that's mm-hmm. every coach that walks in the door goes, Oh, well, that's your okay. guy. Yeah. That's, that's my guy. Like mm-hmm. you instantly see it. You're like, okay, there, there is something different about him. And so I, I think that he does want to be great. I, it's possible he does not know how to fully achieve that. And I also know that in order to be great, you almost have to have like the whole package. Very few players have, have ever been like just outlandishly great, but not have like, he, he does not handle media all that well anymore. I think as a young player, he was fun and quirky and, um, and, you know, super cocky uh, and came across like just, arrogant and but i enjoyed it like i i enjoy being around him I, that's not sort of the same guy we have now i think he's grown you don't think out so of some of that i don't, don't know think so I, I he's bitter and angry like a lot of the time when he comes to see us and that's like that's to me it's <laughs> well uh, i think it's, it's because he ex- yeah, i think he, ex- he expects to be in a different place than where they are um i think there's like a philadelphia like, <laughs> <laughs> like what does he expect like what do you you're i don't mean you're that telling I don't mean me that that, that uh, De'Aaron fox and kyle draper are the same guy like the, expe- <laughs> no, like, the no. expectations like that's it's the same thing no like i think he expects like i think he expected to be in a different place like from a level of success than he's been like someone someone i remember was kind of kicked around online a lot i know um it has come up, but I don't think Sacramento has broken De'Aaron Fox. Like I don't, that's not, he, De'Aaron Fox still very much wants to be in Sacramento. He wants to be all these, we talked about this. All these players are so aware of the playoff drought and just what it'll mean if, you know, things turn around. Look at, we were talking about the, we were talking about the Chemezi Metu moment last night, a game winner. I mean, that was a, first of all, I got to say, I know a lot of people hate 7.30 games, and I bet they're awful for you, James, who has to drive about two hours. Uh, I got home at one. Drive to Nevada to go home. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love 7.30 games, and a good portion of that is because um, usually it coincides with national TV. But your fan base is so much more loose. You know, maybe look okay. it up a bit. Like, there's a there's a vibrance with a with a 730 game uh and i thought the crowd last night was fantastic not only the numbers that turned out but it was terrific but again you get this great moment on national tv metu hits a game-winning shot you just see what you just see how much people care about this team i know i mean it yeah look, every and i'm not just saying oh that was just unique to sacramento no no other no other market would celebrate a game-winning shot the way that they do that's not what I'm saying, but you can see it. You think of all the dreck that's been around the early part of the season, highs and lows. Majority of the time, they're just getting their head kicked in. There's not a level coaches of fired. <laughs> yeah. Coaches are fired. You don't pandemic, I mean, even, even yeah. to the point where you don't even have what you started off with, which was really competitive games that went down to the wire. So many games that are just decided with six minutes to go already. Like it's this game's and this game's a wrap. We haven't had to look at the last two minute report in like a month. That that's crazy, Sean. Right. I know one yeah. season we had to look at it like 14 times before we got through December. It was yeah. crazy. Every but, game was that way. 
but again, I think going back to De'Aaron, like I think he knows he wants to be in Sacramento. Like it's not, there's plenty of guys that would welcome trades and want to get out of here. And, and, and it's part of the business. I think Fox may be a part of that group as well. Like, Hey, if it happens, whatever, like there, it doesn't matter. That's, it's not a bad thing, but I think he really wants to make it work here. Like I, I really think he wants us to not only be his team, but this is where he wants to be. Like it's a, this town works so well for a lot of NBA players. Um, we've already, we've, we've well talked at nauseum about how well this town works for NBA players in their personal lives. Um, but I, I think that they, they, they adore the, the admiration of the, of the, of the fans. And I think they do like the fact that they're a little bit hot and cold. I think there's a lot of them that, that know that, that they, that they would boo too, if they were getting their, you know, their bag handed to them by the third quarter. And this game is now a wrap, you know, I think they appreciate that. There's nothing more, there's nothing worse than apathy, uh, you know, or have people that just don't show up. So um, I think he wants to make it work here. I don't know that he wants to be necessarily this great, great, great player, but I think he really, I think he'd rather, I think he definitely wants to win. And I think he'd rather it happen in Sacramento than elsewhere, because that's going to reflect on him more than like the legacy of his career. or The narrative of his career is if he doesn't turn Sacramento who drafted him and rewarded him with a max contract, if he doesn't turn that franchise around into a playoff contender, or a perennial playoff team, or even just a playoff team, well, he'll be looked at as a losing player. No, I mean, that's that's an honest assessment, Sean. I just looked at the two-minute report, just so people know, while, while Sean was talking. Um, yeah, there was one incorrect call, and it came at the 7.8-second mark of the fourth quarter when Rashawn Holmes should have been called for a three in the key. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I guess on the play where Porzingis, uh, missed, um, and the Kings, you know, got the stop, uh, yeah, that, that they actually should have, uh, called a three in the key on Rashawn Holmes. I, I like inconsequential. They're not going to call that at that point and make it a, a three point game. Um, yeah, Sean, I, I think this is, uh, it's a lively discussion that we, we continue to have about De'Aaron Fox and sort of who and what he is and where he's going and all that stuff. And to be honest with you, Sean, I, I want to watch it play out. Like, I think when I hear Tyrese Halliburton, you know, say, look, why do you guys keep asking about chemistry or the new word is compatibility. We have compatibility issues, which is totally different than chemistry issues. They're just totally different. It, the entire ideology behind them is different. Um, yeah. Like, I, I, they just, who cares if they haven't had, this is a discussion we were having last night. Like there, uh, there's this conversation going around in the media that De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton have never had 20 point games on the same night. And like, who cares? Like, I, I don't care because Sean, I can tell you that I know that there are a ton of times where De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox and, uh, Harrison Barnes and Tyrese Halliburton and Harrison Barnes and Tyrese Halliburton and Rashawn Holmes, they've all had 20 point nights. That's an anomaly that it, it's something that doesn't matter because those guys have 20 point nights with other people. And for that matter, it doesn't even matter whether you score 20 points or not. The only thing that matters at the end of the night is that you won or lost a game. And so I'm not going to get concerned over whether they are just the perfect blend. They've played like 82 games together. It took Portland like a couple of years to get 
CJ McCollum up to speed where he could join in with, uh, with Damian Lillard. He didn't start for a long time. And even when he did start, he wasn't very good. That's not what we're seeing out of Tyrese Halliburton. And I don't think that, uh, that De'Aaron Fox can be Damian Lillard, but I certainly think that Tyrese Halliburton can be CJ McCollum. And so we're, we're seeing this, like they're trying to figure each other out. They're trying to balance each other, but at the same time, they want each other to succeed. And that's, that's the biggest thing. They are not competing for the spotlight. They both want each other to succeed. And I think Fox said something last night, Sean, that was so intriguing that I think is missed. Like we get in this whole conversation about why Buddy Hield's on the court. Buddy Hield's on the court just to stretch the defense. Well, Fox said, you know, they put their, their best defender on me, which is good for Ty. It opens things up for him. It allows him to play against a lesser defender and, and I'll take the tough guy. That's fine. I think we make each other better that way. And I thought that that was a really interesting statement. And I think you could take it as he's being arrogant and saying, well, I'm still the best player and they still got to guard me with the best guy, but that's not how I took it. I took it the same way that, you know, when they talk, talk to us about Buddy Hill being the guy who stretches the floor and just the fear of Buddy Hill. Like, I don't, I don't know who's fearing Buddy Hill at this point, um, but <laughs> Somebody, somebody might be magically, but uh, yeah, I'm joking. I know that Buddy Hield (laughs) is like just the fact that Buddy Hield is on the floor. You you have to stand there and defend him. Uh, If Buddy Hield was on a different team, I guarantee you this: the Kings wouldn't stand there and defend him because that's not what they do. They leave that guy open all the time on other teams. But Buddy Hield does get defended by other teams. But I do believe that Fox is. It's true when Fox is on the court the attention is drawn towards him and it does make life easier. And so we just have to see this balancing out of these guys. And I think that they'll get there and I think it'll, it's going to take a little while, but I I think that they will be a really, really solid backcourt. Do you think that uh, you, so you think Ty will probably be a 20 point score at some point? I mean, like we talked about this too last night. I I think he's more like if I'm going to gauge, I think he's more of an 18 point a game guy. Uh, like, but he could sit at 18 for a long time at the same time, he, he's going to have to be prodded and prodded. I think that the best thing that happened to, to Tyrus Halliburton was that De'Aaron Fox missed five games and, and, and stepped up and he stepped up in this magical way and was so good. And it's like, Hey, look, man, you showed us, you can do it now. Now it's, now it's on you to keep doing that. You can't. And that's what Fox is saying. You have to keep doing that, that you can't go back to being a 12 point a game guy. That's not who you should be. It's not who you are. It's just who you're choosing to be. And that's not okay anymore. Now mm-hmm. you showed us and you, you need to be this. And I'll point this out too. The five games before Fox got hurt, he was averaging 26.8 points per game. He was so incredibly good. He had, yeah. he had found his game again. So again, if you can get them going together and they're dueling banjos and we're watching them playing together and playing apart and playing, you know, that's what you're looking for. That moment where, they're both succeeding at the same time and it's coming. It just hasn't happened yet. The, the 20 point scores thing is kind of a, reti- is kind of a tired observation. I mean, I know it goes back to even when Tyrese and Kevin Martin were together, there's Tyrese, Tyree Tyreek Evans, Tyreek Evans and Kevin Martin were together. They're like, Oh, can they coexist? And you know, they had less than a year to do it before moves were made there. But um, even, I mean, it would even be taking away from the backcourt. I mean, even how many times would we hear that with DeMarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay? 
you know, it's like how many times do these guys score 20, you know, when one doesn't, the other one does, it's a little bit more of a, I got your back, you got my back, but it's so rare when the two of them are just really clicking at the same time. Um, and they carried the bulk of the scoring load. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, I get it. It's something to look at, but you know, to me, I think what you're getting from Tyree from Tyrese Halliburton right now is so great in his sophomore season. If he ever gets his numbers, James, to being 18, even 20 or higher, then you really have a special player. Because right now, just his elite playmaking feel for the game, seeing the seeing the play before it happens, is going for the easy bucket, going for high percentage shots, going for setting other teammates up for high percentage shots that are around the rim. Uh, utilizing the two-man game with the, with with the big, I mean, it's such a it's such a lost art. You don't see so many of these guys do that anymore. And to me, if he even just doubles down on that element of the game as opposed to the scoring load, I think that would even be fantastic because then you can find scores to put around him. So it's Chris wh- Paul esque. Yeah, whether he does or he doesn't, like to me, you've already won. Like you you, you already see enough to where. If this element goes and you just become better, a better playmaker, distributor, um, and you just add some weight to yourself and, and 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 become a better defender on ball defender, not the guy that sits in passing lanes and like a like a safety and just and hit and get interceptions, that would be fantastic. But if he adds any of that as well as a scoring load to himself, a guy who can maybe get to the free throw line more, boy, watch out. That would be that would be tremendous. I totally agree. In the last seven games, Tyrese Halliburton is averaging 21.1 points, 10.3 assists, 3.7 rebounds, 1.7 steals, uh, which I think is actually down from his normal number. Uh, He's shooting 50.5% from the field. Um, He's shooting, I think it's 47.5% from three. He's shooting 91% from, uh, from the free throw line. He's getting to the free throw line more. Like, look, if this guy can be that player, which is what I think some of us saw last season with him. Like, Ooh, he could be. And I, I do think he's a true three level scorer. I think he, he can be a guy who you don't want him to be your number one scoring option. Um, but I, I still think he can be a, a very, very good, good scorer in the league. It's just, I don't think he's like in a perfect world, you wouldn't need him to be, you know, I think, you know, Steve Nash had a couple of seasons where he scored 20 a game. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, teams were were fine with Steve Nash scoring 16 or 17 in a game and leading the league in, in assists and winning MVP tro- trophies. Um, you know, they were okay with him doing that because he was just so good. And I think that that's where I kind of look at Halliburton, like, can he be this good? And so that would be the only point where I would go, if you have to surround him with shooters, well, De'Aaron Fox is not that. And so we could come a point down the road where you go, okay, De'Aaron Fox is not that, and he can't get better, and he's not getting better, and so they can't play together. Um, but then if, if you think that, then don't trade for Ben Simmons because that's not going to help you either. Yeah, you're going to need shooting around Ben. Yeah, yeah, you're going to need – exactly. So, yeah, anyway, I think it's it's all a really good discussion about uh, you know where Fox is heading. I just think that like I want to see Fox and Halliburton – Get as much time as possible to work this thing out. I don't think that there's any reason to hit any kind of panic button on those two. I, I think that there's plenty of reasons to hit the panic button on the 2021-22 Sacramento Kings. 
Um, but that is not one of them because you're just going to watch them grow and get better. Yeah, and that, I will say that said, what do you got? You know what I mean? You're like uh, uh, no one's untouchable for me. There's nobody that I would. And I think you're in the same boat. I, I I'm with you, James. I'd like to see it. I would like yeah. to see it, but there's plenty of moves out there that I'd go. Oh, yeah. I, I'd, I'll give you him. <laughs> yeah. I, like I'll tell you this, Sean, you could disagree with me or not. I, I think that, um, that Halliburton has moved above De'Aaron Fox, not as the King's best player, but as the King's most untouchable player, because you got the, like, he's, well, he's Monty's firstborn. He makes nothing. He also he, makes nothing. He makes nothing. He's under team control for another like eight years or seven years. I mean, basically, because he's going to, the only way you can get out of signing an extension is to play out five years. And so you at least have him for another three and a half years. And, and that's not even it. He's going to be here long-term. Yeah. He'll be here. He'll be here. Like, you know, at least for the next eight, eight seasons, in my opinion. I mean, I don't see them trading him at all. Uh, and a lot of that's because I, you know, money won't trade him. And as long as money's there now, that's a whole nother situation, but I, it, you know, if money's not there, but I still think that there's just too much there. There's too much like to what you're seeing already. I love that. I love that you called him money's firstborn. Yeah. Oh, did we get Sean frozen? There he is. We have James frozen. Oh, look at that. We both froze. We both Our, froze. Okay. We're back. You said I, uh, that I, I love that you called him Monty's firstborn. That's what yeah. I, I think I think that's hilarious. I, I just I love the the kind of <laughs> just the analogy of it. But I also feel like I you know I don't think that Monty looks at anybody as untouchable, and and he shouldn't. But that said, there's certain guys that he'd be much more willing to hold on to than others. So and I yeah. think uh, specifically with co- team control and just the overall impact that that Tyrese can have on your organization for the small amount of money that he makes over these next three years, James, I think that's, that's obviously the thing that leaps off the page. So if you don't have to, you shouldn't, but that's how, that's how you go out and get, you talked about how do you get a star? That's how you get your superstar. Nope. I got you. Um, okay. So let's run through a couple of quick things. Uh, number one, Marvin Bagley, man, he's so much better this season than he has been in his first three years. Sean, I, uh, like, yeah. I don't care about the 14 and seven. I don't care about that anymore he's so much better as a player. Like it's, it's remarkable to watch. He's running, he's jumping, he's flying in from the side uh, for, for rebounds. Uh, He's attacking the rim. Um, It's not always perfect. He can get you, he can be a little frustrating at times. Um, But at the same time, like just the effort level, everything, the compete level, the, the way that he's defending, he got two quick ones against uh, uh, Porzingis, roped him into two quick fouls uh, against Dallas. I saw him learn, yeah, and and not pick up any more. Like when any he smacked the ones. floor, when he smacked the floor, that was great. Yeah, like I, I love what I'm seeing from Marvin Bagley, and I mean I, I don't know what's going to happen with him, but I'll, I'll tell you, like I think you need to keep your options open with him at this point, uh, just because you know there's still potential there. I don't think there's potential. Like I've thought in the past, like for him to be a 20 and 10 guy, um, like I've backed away from that ledge, but I still think that he, he can help this team. The thing that throws it to me, it's, you know, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I remind people so much can change day to day, week to week in the NBA, um, even with a team and man, all you need is the opportunity. Um, the way he, as you talked about it, James, he's still a young player. 
and you see the these growth moments the, you didn't even talk about the outside shooting i mean is some of these threes look pretty pretty i mean they look really pretty there's some of them that don't they look like yeah some of the ones that chemezi metu has thrown up and look like it's going to knock the backboard down but um i mean he's so much more consistent with it than he was at the start of the season i think we're really kind of seeing an evolution there but to me i'm more excited about what he's doing defensively he has a the just his activity alone is fun to watch i mean it it looks almost like a baby deer out there looking to walk learning to walk but he's so active on both sides um he had a stretch in that second quarter james that i think you were right sitting there right with me i was just wow that was that was incredible both ends of the floor probably his best six minute stretch that I could remember in quite a while. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I, you know, I know they put him in the starting rotation this, these last two games, but I'm not saying he has to start, but going back to what I said at the beginning of the year, like you're not good enough to throw away unproven talent. This is an unproven talent. You need to see what you have here and you need to get to the springtime and, and know for sure, regardless of all the crap noise that's around this kid, uh, a lot of it self-inflicted as we know, as we well yep. know, but doesn't matter. You still need to know, because again, if, if someone can have these self-inflicted mistakes, you're just giving other people the blueprint on how to get out of Sacramento, which yeah. we talked about. It's hard to, it's hard to bring people like the here. Emmanuel Moutier not showing up to work out for Vlade. Right. You fool. You just gave it away. I'm not going to bring anybody that doesn't work out for me. Why? Okay. Okay, I'm not going to work out for you. I'm not not coming to Sacramento. I'd rather be in (laughs) Dallas. Uh, Yeah, I I get it. But, oh. Yeah. Isaiah Thomas just uh, went into health and safety protocols. He will not play against Sacramento Kings on Friday. Yeah. And Uh, you know what? I think that's going to now I think we're probably going to see some others. Yeah. And and, hey, I'll say this too. Like, um, Hat tip to the Sacramento Kings fans. Isaiah Thomas was a good king. He also, he had your back during the entire relocation situation. He showed up at city council meetings. Sean and I interviewed him outside city council meetings. He had your back. The uh, Seattle native like, shows up to. Bravo on yeah. uh, the the loud ovation for Isaiah Thomas at, at the game last night. Um, okay, so let's let's bust through another quick one. Rashawn Holmes does not look like himself. Damian Jones is kind of storming. And I, I said this on D'Lo and Casey yesterday. Uh, Damian Jones reminds me of, like, with this is with all due respect, a poor man's Rashawn Holmes. Like, he does he does what Rashawn Holmes does. Except for he hold, he'll hoist a three. He's three of eight on the season from three. But... The activity, the pick and roll, the finishing traffic, the ripping down rebounds, and then going up hard through people, we're watching him blossom. And I don't know if it's going to continue. I don't know what's going to happen when Alex Len gets back. I know there's, they're still going to do the, like, Tristan Thompson's going to play on occasion. Um, but I, I think Damian Jones uh, was, number one, a very good gamble at, like, almost free. Like, $1.7 million by NBA standards is, like, is nothing. Um, but Sean, he's a good kid like Chemezi and these guys out there like battling and fighting. That's what you need. You need the energy from these young guys. He's added a nice physical presence uh, for this time where Alex Len has been gone. It also people forget when they've gone in these big, big, big holes, these deficits. Damian Jones has been part of the group that's brought him back. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I like that. Like to me, 
if I'm putting my resume or my, you know, self-appraisal together, maybe it's because it's fresh in mind because I actually have to put my self-appraisal together at the end of the year, every year. Nice. Um, Just to remind the bosses how good you are. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's something I'm putting on there. I'm like, you know, you know, when these guys go out and get these big deficits, I'm part of the group that brings them back. Um, You know, I have a positive impact on the game. I'm, uh, you know, when we get, we have a team of, of guys that don't punch back when they get punched. I'm a guy, I'm the guy that will definitely punch back. So uh, I do like that. And who knows what we get with Alex Len he's back and he just looks like a man. I mean, how about this? If there was ever a visual to take it back to Chemezi's game winner and everybody's running out on the floor, just losing their freaking mind. And Chemezi says he blacked out and just a, just a great moment, right? Uh, yeah. The one guy that took about, I, I, it, by the time he got there, it was over. It was Alex Len. <laughs> like, like I'm not trying to p- poke fun at the guy because he had a battle with COVID, but and you can just, these are like the real time effects on how they have on the, on the body. And granted, he's a large human being. So um, <laughs> yeah, like there was just this visual of them all celebrating it. By the time he got there, he's just like, yeah, and everyone's like, we're done, man. Like we're, we're kind of, it's kind of over. <laughs> it's again, this isn't funny, but uh, De'Aaron Fox, um, like he was winded for a couple of games and he, I think yeah. he's still a little winded. And then he said, uh, Davion like called for a sub, uh, and, and he, he laughed. He's like, ha, ah, even you get tired. Look at that. Like yeah. the dude, the workaholic who can't stay out of the gym. He's like, you, you had asked for a sub. And he's like, yeah, I had asked for a sub. That's like Alvin Gentry told us that Davion had asked for a sub, like the first time in the history of the world that Davion Mitchell has ever asked to come out of a game. He's like, I, I can't do this. So, so keep in mind, they are athletes. They are 20 something year olds. Uh, they still need time to recover. And then on occasion, you get a guy like Terrence Davis who has no problems and just flies around the court and looks like he's fresh because his ankles healed up. Um, but again, he had just gone through COVID. So maybe he, he didn't get as bad. Maybe he just got a false pot. I don't know what it was. I'll just tell you, he looks fresh. Everybody's body's different. And, you know, Alex Len, I know it took him a long time last time. I, I hope that it doesn't take that long this, this time around, but you know, it's very possible Alex Len won't play for a while. He's just a humongous human being. And I think it, it took its toll on him and, and him getting out of shape might happen quicker or it might take him longer to recover than other people. But just, you know, it's genetics. And it's, a, it's, it's the second time too. Who yeah. Knows how yeah. That, you know, and, and you All know, not, I'm wondering about Terrence Davis. Like, uh, you know, I thought I kind of felt like he was back in the uh, kind of back in the rotation, but there in a weird way, I didn't really miss him last night. I kind of did because buddy didn't shoot the ball, uh, which is another strange occurrence. That's two out of three games where he just didn't shoot. Um, Yeah. But I think Davion came back and that, that eats the minutes. There's not, I mean, Mo Harkless isn't playing. I mean, it did, but he still ended up with, let me double check here. Yeah, he still ended up with 23 minutes and he only shot the ball five times. Yeah, that's that's strange. And then what he shot three times a couple of games ago. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Maybe he's reeling it in. Maybe he knows that that's you know, he's got to be better and he's got to be more consistent. Um, all right, Sean, we're uh, we're running along, man. We are, buddy. What is happening here? What is happening, Sean? <laughs> we do um, it every time. We've got to finish with the business of basketball. Love it. Uh, Sean, we were talking about this. We can be relatively quick with this one. Um, we've seen quite a few game winners. Uh, I know De'Aaron Fox had a game winner over Philadelphia and Sacramento. Um, we had 
the uh, Harrison Barnes. Uh, oh no, that wasn't at home. Uh, we had uh, Harrison Barnes had one here. It was against Cleveland. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, it was with it the was. beautiful setup that full court pass from Fox out of the end. That was crazy. Okay, and then we had on top of that we had the um, Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, game winner. We've had a Buddy Healed game winner. Bogies was against the Lakers. We had a Scalabissier game winner. You oh, that was Scal nice. Banging a three. Um, what's your favorite game winner that you've ever been? Uh, you've been in the building for because I, you know we've I've seen so many like yeah. overall, but like you were in the building for. My favorite one. I mean, it's 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 easy, but it, it happened on the anniversary of Chimezi Metu. I mean, just the Tyreek Evans that that full court or that you know, and Dante Green being that you know being what kind of what Tyrese. <laughs> what Tyrese was last night to Chemezi already celebrating it before it goes in. Um, yeah, that, that, that just that way that that played out. Um, just an unbelievable play by Tyreek Evans. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about that too. him getting up on the scorers table, almost falling over Jason Jones, trying to hold him up. And then he goes and celebrates with his mom and grandma. And I, I know Tyreek just lost his mom to, over the past week or so during this holiday. So yeah, it's tough, but um, yeah, I'll give it to Tyreek. That was that was to me that one that I was sitting in the first level of the upper deck at Arco in media in the media box up there and just kind of leaning over. Is it, is it got a chance? Oh, <laughs> and yeah, it was uh, pure. I will say that's the same for me. Uh, that was my first season covering the team and I was sitting with Zach Harper and did the same thing. It, it started, he, he shot it um, like from the left side, but, it started curving and we both started leaning like, Oh, it's got a chance. And then boom, Arco lit up like candle, just boom. Like the whole place lit up. That was nuts. And him standing on the scoreboard uh, the scorers table was amazing. Um, and, and again, Jason Jones, like holding his leg, uh, trying uh, like almost like holding his hand so he wouldn't fall. Uh, and yeah. people were like, Oh, you're trying to give him a high five. He's like, no, no. I thought he was going to fall. I mean, look, Arco was, <laughs> like jumping up on a table in Arco, probably not your best idea. Like jumping on anything, even a seat, probably was not your best idea at Arco Arena in the last couple of years. It was. I like was, the after the 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 bucket. I think it was OJ Mayo who hit that shot, and the Grizzlies PR guy walks out on the floor thinking it's like a done deal. Oh nope, gotta come back. Demarcus is pissed. He inbounds the ball. <laughs> you know, like there's just so many things that happen. And I remember, you know, I mentioned Dante because in the moment I see him hoist the shot, I'm like. I'm like, oh, here we go. It's, and I'm just thinking it's not going to happen. And Dante caught my eye, but I was, I was, it was quick enough to where the ball's in the air. Dante catches my eye. I look over at Dante. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> like, wandering he on the out onto the, wandering like, out onto the court. Yeah, and then, and then I, I look up in time to see it go in, and then I'm just like, what? How did that happen? How did that just happen? Uh, I, Stephen Chia. Uh, was our our cameraman, our photog for uh, for Cowbell at that time, and he got this incredible shot of uh, he was way down low shooting up, where he had Tyreek walking through the tunnel, high fiving the fans with uh, Devin Blankenship right next to him, and the scoreboard up above his head where you could see the final score. It was absolutely spectacular. Mm -hmm. I actually had a poster made of that and gave it to Devin. Uh, yeah, re really, really cool stuff. So De Devin's also in the uh, the Weber tunnel he shot, that, that famous Weber tunnel shot. And he's just looking at it going, huh, look at this. Look <laughs> or at he's this. just in it and he's just he's just kind of taking it all in. He's admiring it. And uh, yeah, Devin, the former 
PR guy for the Kings. Okay. So that was a short business of basketball. Uh, we do have some, some other things to cover really quick. Uh, number one, big sending big love to our friend, Scott Moak, who is mm. uh, in health and safety protocols, which he put out there. Uh, so I feel comfortable putting it out there because he actually set it out online. Um, yeah. He actually left the, the game on Tuesday night in the first quarter yeah. uh, when a positive test came back, I guess. Um, and, uh, so big shout out to Scott. We hope that, um, he has a speedy recovery. He's a, a gem of a human being. Um, 100%. there was something else, there was something else, Sean. Well, uh, and the new guy from Stockton, he does the Stockton Kings he oh, gets yeah. to step in. He, he does a great Scott Moke impersonation, he but, does. You can, but he also, I, I told someone I'm a huge SNL fan and I, someone reminded me, I don't remember if this is true. And you would think because I am an SNL fan that I should know this, but I think Daryl Hammond actually does the, the, well, you know, the, the announcer voice for, yeah. not, you know, old Don Pardo, he's gone now. And so I think it is Daryl Hammond, but whoever it is, if it's not Daryl Hammond, this daddy, I think his name is Thaddeus Davis. Is that his name? This new, Something like that. I, I heard that. Yeah. That. Yeah. So if it, it, he kind of sounds a little bit like, uh, like, Whoever does the SNL voice now, the announcer voice. So I don't like how he says Halliburton. <laughs> I like it sounds robotic. It almost like a computer saying it. I don't I don't love that. Outside of that, I think he's he's been really good. It was hard to tell that it was him. It keyed me in. I'm like, hey, they just hit their 11th three-pointer and no one said, uh, who wants tacos? <laughs> like, <laughs> like we didn't get the free taco call. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. And then you're like, oh, I don't think that's smoke. So you're zooming in and we're up in the, in the box, like looking down. Um, sometimes I feel like you and I are like the, the two old dudes in, uh, in the Muppets on the Muppets. Yeah. Well, it was all right. <laughs> but, that wasn't bad. Oh, that wasn't bad. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then uh, one other thing, um, we hate this. <laughs> Our friend, Mike uh, Wagman loves. Yes loves the is it bing bong is that what is okay so i got i okay you might need to explain this because i don't even understand it it. like it's it's god awful though yeah i like the concept so unfortunately if you've seen tiktok or if you've seen any of these it it originated the knicks have embraced bing bong i mean you know the, the the noise that the that the the meter would make when crossing the street you know the what is that called bing bong yeah so they do anyway they've incorporated into that in the crosswalk they've incorporated that into madison square garden not that exact one that you're hearing but the knicks will do the bing bong thing as a celebratory fashion okay Jesus and marrow big behind it and any of those web series you've seen is fantastic the kings found it and some of their game night people, and they're like, we're going to just ISO on a person. And one person, the first game be, is Lou Dort. It was Lou Dort. The first game last night, it was Jalen Brunson. And didn't work out so well. You know, <laughs> I like the idea and, and, and they're open to suggestion. They, they thought it was great. Thought it was a TikTok thing. And I think if it didn't originate in New York in the way that they're using it, because it, because I always say it kind of, it's like, kind of like you're biting another team. You're kind of copying another team style. You kind of want your own thing. So maybe you just got to find your own thing. Maybe it's Beavis and Butthead kind of laughing every time, just the, the two of them laughing every time a guy misses. And, and that's a little bit dated for, I like um, when they do the, um, Napoleon dynamite Loki. <laughs> right. Like, or I, the, I like that. It's fun. 
or the I, whatever if someone has a huge dunk that was great you know and the, the, uh, the black falcon still i i dig that it makes yeah, me and, laugh and here's another one too um mo harkless now we haven't seen him on the floor in a while uh to make a bucket but uh there was moments where he would score and you would hear the little love uh the heartless from kanye west and the, the joke is how could you be so heartless is the is the yeah is the hook and it's and a lot of people go how could you be mo harkless so yeah you hear the little instrumental that comes in after he makes a shot i love that i thought it was great um they're not the only team to do that but he's on your team now so you might as well let it go yeah. so if you guys have any ideas of maybe something that they could stay if they could play iso on a player pick on a player in a way that every time they miss you might hear something in the arena i kind of like the uh, beavis and butthead uh or or even you know what's the guy from the simpsons ha ha whatever like i don't yeah. know <laughs> um nelson that nelson was yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know no. there's probably something much more relevant in pop culture these days and I, I i usually am the guy that would love to pull something out i told him they should use the willy wonka anytime someone you know misses the half court shot you get nothing you lose good day sir uh which i love but unfortunately even for people who <laughs> that get something wrong in the trivia they still end up giving them a prize so they don't send anybody home empty-handed so i guess that doesn't really play it's very strange like yeah 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 um okay so i bing think bong. we covered all that stuff bing bong uh mike wackerman loves it though the AP and, and he, he laughs he sits right behind us and he laughs every Easily time and, amused. You, and then you can hear him like Bing bong, bing bong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it adds to our our enjoyment of the game. Uh, okay, so lastly, uh, June six, we have the Kings, uh, the Kings beat happy hour, the off the record with the Kings beat happy hour from five thirty seven. Uh, that is for premium subscribers. If you are not a premium subscriber, you will not get the link to uh, the virtual happy hour, which is super fun. And Sean and I will be there. We're going to line up a guest. Uh, I'm working on that. I don't want to announce anything and then, and then not have them show up and then all that stuff. But, uh, but it, it's well worth the time and uh, everyone had a great time first go around. So make sure you do that. Make sure you uh, give us a thumbs up and a subscription on our YouTube channel. If you like uh, to watch us on YouTube, as opposed to listening to us um, via the multitude of, of platforms, um, you know, make sure you give us a, a subscription and a like on things like iTunes and, and all those things as well. Um, Sean, do you have any final thoughts? Final we thoughts? Totally not sports related. Being the Ricardos, if you get to check that out on Amazon streaming service. Uh, pretty fantastic. Aaron Sorkin movie. Uh, Nicole Kidman plays Lucille Ball. Yeah. Javier Bardem plays Desi Arnaz. I'm a big fan. Love that movie. Okay. And it's, it's not a series. It's a movie. Okay. Just a movie. Yeah. So I saw it. I saw it on there. I, I you know, if you're uh, thinking I, Lucille Ball and I love Lucy, and I know that might be too old for people to remember, but uh, I remember. kind of they have a lot of series of events that happened in the history of that series and their family and their life um, that they kind of truncate into about a week's time. So it's, they took a little liberty there, but really, really tremendous. Okay. Uh, I, I will I will check it out. And by the um, time we do this pizza or by the time we do this uh, podcast next week, I'm going to give you a review of licorice pizza because I can't wait to see that. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, lastly, Happy New Year's, everybody. Happy Be safe. New Year. We're happy not going to see you until uh, until after the New Year. So um, happy New Year. Hopefully uh, we're talking about a 
I think it'd be a four game win streak at that point. James. If the Kings, yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to put expectations on anyone. <laughs> All right. So for Sean Cunningham, I am James Ham. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the Kings beat podcast. We will see you uh, next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>